Hey, this is Johnny Damon, your favorite caveman from the 2004 world champion Boston Red Sox. You're listening to Boston's Big Three Podcast presented by Ride the Wave Media. All right, everybody, what's up? Boston's Big Three Podcast presented by Ride the Wave Media. This is episode 52. 52. And today, Boss's Big Three is presented by Bench Clearers. Now, for those listening at home, if you're listening on Spotify, if you're listening on Apple, we appreciate it. You're not getting the visual because this is going to be a complete Patriots podcast. <clears throat> but I'm I'm repping the Bruins right now. I got sent a little Bruins, like a basketball jersey. Uh, I think it's absolutely sick. It's comfortable. Now, they sent me an XL. Babs has been putting on a little weight lately. I'm eating for three. Just, you know, I got the twins on the way. So um, a little snug fit, but I, I think it's awesome. It's a great fit, perfectly fit. You make sure you check out Bench Clears on Instagram. If you're a big hockey fanatic, I know Bruins Warrior will get excited. I'm sure he'll end up buying 10 of these. If you even like, you know, you might be a Flyers fan. You, you might be a Coyotes fan. That's absolutely fine. You can rep this. You check out Bench Clears. I don't want to screw that one up. Bench Clears. Um, guys, today... It's all about Patriots. We're going to recap the draft. We have Jay the Pats fan on here down from Tampa Bay. We got Justin Zolat back on here, Nash Pats fan club. And, of course, we got Joe Stafford here, the man who's been putting all his mock drafts together, which I'm going to give it right off the bat, Stafford. You went seven out of eight right off the bat. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. You can, you know, tout how you got all the positions right and all that and say that you're a know-it-all. Before we get into the draft itself, I got to talk about Rob Gronkowski coming out of retirement and going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We haven't talked about that yet on Boston's Big Three. I'm going to do a little rant session here um, to kind of get it going and open it up for today. Now, if you follow the Spike King on Instagram, I was asleep when Rob Gronkowski uh, came out of retirement and the news came. And it, it really wasn't news to me that he was going to go to Tampa. I mean, Leroy the dog, he had it first. And woof, woof. Knew that it was, yeah, good, good boy, by the way. Um, you knew that he was going to come out of time. And I've been saying it for a year. He's going to come out. He's going to come out. So everyone was hinging on. What's, what's, what's Spike King got to say? What's he going to do about this? I mean, it's the same thing with Brady. I'm not upset that they go to Tampa Bay. And I'm, and I'm happy that Gronk's coming out of retirement. And he rested his body. And I've been saying this, that a lot of NFL players over the next couple of years are going to start doing this. They're going to take one full year off out of the league for their mental well-being and their physical and the physical toll they take. And they're going to come back into the league. I'm just upset because the Patriots fan base was played like puppets for the last year. And that just irks me. And I think that I just wanted to voice my opinion on that and say, hey, listen, Pats fans, yes, you can say Gronkowski helped win three Super Bowls and he doesn't owe you anything. But listen, he jerked around the entire fan base. Now, I understand, yes, Belichick tried trading Brady away, tried trading Gronk to the Lions. He's trying to see it's a business, and I understand that. These are professional athletes, and they should remain somewhat professional through this ordeal. Maybe you do want to screw Belichick over in the Patriots in the sense of, hey, you guys try getting rid of me, I'm going to sit out all year, and I'm going to tease I'm coming back. But what I'm upset about is the fans, the fans who have pissed away so much money on buying your jerseys, any merchandise, collectibles, 
tickets, concession stands. They get to come see you. The same fans that have defended you and Tom Brady. You're part of this too because your Hulu commercial. Like these people that have defended Deflate Gate, Spy Gate, kissing your son. That have defended Gronkowski's party partying. Uh, <coughs> that's what I'm upset about, and I feel like a lot of fans are not seeing it that way. That these guys play with you when Rob Gronkowski is coming on Barstool and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to come back week 12. I'm going to come back week 13. You watched that team last year, and you knew that they had the greatest defense in the last decade, and they just had nothing going on offense. And you watched that team, and you know Rob Gronkowski would be an absolute difference maker. And the fact that he teased his comeback for CBD products, he teases his comeback for his Gronk Beach party, I am upset as a fan. Gronkowski, good luck down in Tampa Bay. Like, I'm not wishing him to get hurt. Um, he's going to come back to the Patriots and retire as a Pats Hall of Famer. He's going into Canton one day. I'm not upset. I just want to speak as a fan and say this is unacceptable. Same thing with Tom Brady, your Hulu commercial. I'm not going anywhere. You say that inside Gillette Stadium. You got everybody wrapped around your fingers. You're doing it for a brand. I understand the markability about it. But as a fan, it needs to be said out there. Mostly people disagree with me. Because the fact I spit on his jersey, but that's how I feel. And it, it, and 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 it, you know what? I'm not gonna say no disrespect. You know, Gronk. Like it is disrespect. I feel bad for this guy right here, Je11, because I'm sure that he already knew Brady was gone, and rightfully so. Brady's done his time. He did 20 years here. But everyone defending Rob Gronkowski, saying who's gotten 20 concussions and he's put his body on the line. What about this guy right here, Je11? He's never bitched or moaned or complained about his contract. He's never bitched about the playing time. He goes out there and he grinds. This guy's put his body on the line just as much as Rob Gronkowski. If I'm JE11 and I'm looking at Gronk, I'm pissed at Rob Gronkowski because does Gronk deserve top tight end money? Absolutely. He deserves all of that. So does JE11. He deserves to get paid as well too. But you don't see him pissing and moaning about that. He goes and does his job. If JE11 sees that, he's like, this guy literally sat out an entire year just for himself, and he could have just played for us. And Even if Gronk played 25% of the snaps for three games and it still ended the same way, losing to the Titans, I'd be absolutely fine with him going to Tampa Bay and just like, okay, see you later. You, you, try, to, you try to gut it out, and it didn't work, and then you're going to go somewhere else and try it somewhere else. That's my thoughts about Rob Gronkowski. I love doing the Instagram stuff because I will – literally voice my opinion and people will twist my words around and same thing with the Brady. Like why are you slandering Brady? You must hate Tom. You're a whole entire, you're talking shit about him. I'm just saying, I'm not happy the way that happens. That's my opinion. If you don't like it, go screw yourself. I'm just going to let you know, I have some validity behind it. So before we get into the draft, I want to go around the table here and give me your thoughts about Rob Gronkowski going to Tampa Bay. And I'm going to start with Jay, because Jay, now you're down in Tampa Bay. Yes, sir. You have Tom Brady following you down there. You got Rob Gronkowski <laughs> following you down there. The boys are getting back together. I know that if there is a season and fans can go, you'll be there, and I'm, you're going to be supporting them. Um, go ahead. <coughs> talk it out. What's your thoughts? So I'm not mad at Gronk for coming to Tampa Bay. Uh, if Tom stayed in New England, there's no doubt Gronk's in New England. So all this, to me, falls on, on Tom's shoulders. I called Gronkowski coming back this year as soon as I found out about his CBD medic company. The guy ends the season with the Super Bowl. And Rob, Chris, Dan, any Gronk brother, you know I love you guys, but this is just my take. 
I feel he overstated his injuries post the Super Bowl when he was talking about, you know, when he went back to the locker room and he couldn't walk and his leg was like, whatever, two sizes too big or shaking or whatever it was. And then he goes and he starts the CBD medic. And I was like, this is brilliant. The guy is a marketing genius. He's going to take a year off from football. He's going to promote his CBD brand. And then CBD is going to get passed in the uh, Players Association to be legal for players to use. And then he's going to come back and say, the reason why I was able to come back and play was because I was taking these CBD products. And if they can take me back from being hurt and coming back into the league, look what they can do for you. So I knew Gronk was going to take a year off. I knew it was all revolved around the CBD uh, lotions, oils, pills, whatever it is. So I'm not mad at Gronk for coming to Tampa Bay. He's following Tom. You know, he said he was going to be traded to the Lions. He said, I'll just retire because I'm not playing for anybody but Tom. Tom, you're right. The Hulu commercial, hook, line, and sinker. I bit right into it. He's in Gillette Stadium, like he said. I'm not going anywhere. Here we go. You know, there's all that talk. Is he walking into the stadium? Is he walking out of the stadium? Is this the visitor's entrance? What's going on? I disregarded all of that. I 100%, 100% thought Tommy was coming back. Once he went to Tampa, it was just a matter of time before Gronk was coming down here. And to be honest, as someone who's lived here for uh, going on almost a year now, I'm not mad at him, man. It's a lot nicer down here in Tampa than it is in Foxborough. <laughs> it is fucking beautiful down here. Uh, so yeah, that's just my take. I, I saw it. I saw Gronk taking the year off from the beginning. Uh, like I said, it's all wrapped around the CBD. He's just making money, he's making business moves, and he just wants to play with Tom. And and honestly, I can't blame him. You know, we we all we're all hoping Sidham's going to be great. We're all hoping Sidham's going to be able to take the torch and and carry it on. But I mean, Tom's the goat, and if if you have the choice for someone in the league to throw you a football, why not Brady? <laughs> No, I get that view 100%. I agree with you on almost literally everything you, you and Babs have said uh, going forward so far. But the number one thing I want to emphasize, Gronk is not the mastermind behind all of this stuff like he's being made out to be in the media. This all falls back to Tom Brady. In that Hulu commercial we said he's coming back, I didn't buy for a second that meant he was going to be a Patriot again. Not for a second. That just meant he was staying inside uh, and playing his career out, not retiring. That was like the official announcement in my eyes. Yeah, when you it, you thought that, but the entire fan base, I would oh. say 95% of it thought that he was coming back. Well, I think it's part of it because they wanted to believe that. People I tend very, to believe what they want to believe. I probably had horse blinders on and I had like my little fan glasses that I was looking through. But uh, yeah, I believe, man. I believe. I, I, I have... I had a thought that Brady cared about legacy, that he cared about being, you know, because there's a difference between, to me, Montana and Peyton legacies, and then you got the Kobe legacies and the Tim Duncan legacies and the Bill Russells. There's something to be said about staying with one team and, and winning championships with one team and retiring with the team that drafted you. I thought Tom Brady cared more about that than I guess he did. I want to say, I, I, I say on that, I'm sorry, Stafford. I just want to say on that point, Bill Belichick also cares about his legacy too. And his legacy is post Tom Brady and winning without him. And the same thing, if you want to talk about legacies as well, Tom Brady's legacy, I can win it without Bill. And I think just that having that motivation on both sides of it, Bill was pushing him out and saying, this is it. And Brady's still playing. And I've never said this, and I <clears throat> Brady's not washed up. That guy is still at least an above-average quarterback. Like, you know, I'm not saying he's number one. I'm not that stupid. <laughs> I'm saying, like, he's, a, he's top 15. And it depends on the kind of season he's going to have. So... Uh, it goes both ways on that one. Definitely. Belichick's chasing Shula. That's, 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 that's his whole thing. Uh, but back to the point we're talking about here. 
Uh, Gronk would have come back last season, I firmly believe, but I think Brady told him to take it off. I really do. I think Gronk was thinking about coming back down the stretch towards that playoff run because he didn't want to deal with the training camp, didn't want to deal with most of the regular season. I do firmly believe that. I just believe that Brady said, Gronk, take the rest of the year off. We'll evaluate after next year because Brady knew he was not coming back to the Patriots um, after the playoffs. He said that on Howard Stern. Like it was, it was known. He said he probably knew it was his last year in New England. So we told Gronk to take the rest of the year off. He's going to figure out where he's going to play, and then Gronk was going to sign there regardless. Jay, you're 100% right. If, if the tides do turn and Brady had been back in New England, Gronk's a Patriot still. That's yeah. 100. I think it's a home run. I think that's not even questionable. But because of Brady... Gronk's in Tampa Bay. This was not a premeditated move by Gronkowski. This was not initiated by him. This is all on Brady. Yeah, and, and if I may jump in here to kind of complete the circle, um, I think you guys hit it all spot on. Um, Jay, 100%, the fact that he was using that platform of going down to Tampa Bay and taking that time off to market himself as an individual larger than life, pursuing, you know, elsewhere with the WWE and, and you know, the New Year's Eve stunt with Steve Harvey. I mean, all this crazy stuff that, you know, off off, um, off the field. <clears throat> but having said that as well, I, I and staff agree with you as well, um, that it was, all pre- it was all premeditated based on what Brady was going to be saying. Like, is he saying or is not going? I want to kind of disagree with you to an extent, Jay, on Brady and the whole legacy thing. If you kind of look back at his whole career, granted, he wanted to be the largest in life. He wanted to be the front, the face of the franchise. But here's a guy that literally took pay cut after pay cut after pay cut after pay cut. You see the numbers that he put up over the course of his career that supersede any other person, you know, in that at that position. But he was being paid like 21st, you know, quarterback in the league. I mean, it, it, it's almost like, you know, kind of going off, you know, what we're going to be watching later with the Michael Jordan. You know, think of like the Scottie Pippen, like he's overproducing and under you know, being underpaid. And so I kind of get to a point where it's like, all right, like I, I provided all the, all the performances that you guys wanted from me and what, what has driven this franchise as a business to compete with the Cowboys and, and other, um, you know, multi-billion dollar companies. But nonetheless, like you got to pay the guy, you know, it's like, See, almost- that's, that's why I think he cared about the legacy because he was willing to be the underpaid quarterback because he right. knew that would that was going to be the ticket to help him win championships. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you get to the end of the line though, it's like, all right, contract's up, let's talk. You know, I've I've taken it's like pay me later in life. You know, so but yeah, I mean, you guys have zero problem the way that between the Hulu commercial and the way that Rob Gronkowski kept teasing his comeback, that well, you no. guys have no problem with that? No, I do that, have yeah. a problem. I do have a problem, but not as much of a problem as I thought I was going to because we got value back for Gronk. Yeah. If we got no value back for Gronk, I would be livid right but now. But it's still okay that they, they kind of they fucked around with the fan base. That's, they that's tossed okay. Us, I mean, it's, yeah. You go, Justin. No, no, I was going to say, I was going to say, I mean, we think back a year ago when we're entering the draft. I mean, is he coming? Is he staying? I mean, they didn't really invest in the tight end position at all. And we're, you know, dealing with two, you know, I mean, his own Lacoste were, were all right. But like, I mean, had they, he actually, I mean, whatever, man, I'm just optimist. But like, here are two no name guys, right? If they, if Gronk had come out and said, hey, listen, I'm not going to be playing this year, like, make your moves, you know, based on that decision. And I feel like I wholeheartedly feel like that position could have been so much stronger and ultimately would have given us more weapons to drive it down the field than Brady throwing his helmet off in the sideline in Houston that ultimately led to him leaving. So I don't know. I guess to an extent, Gronk kind of screwed us even further back to what we're talking about now. 
and and at the same time, I mean, Gronk had felt that he might have gotten screwed. And actually, just wrapping this part up, it makes that Super Bowl 53 run so much more magical now, looking back on it, because a lot of this does stem off of Super Bowl 52, and I think it does come with the Malcolm Butler benching. And there has been the rumor about Butler and Steve Belichick got into a fight, and Butler said, you're only on the team because of your dad, and this and that, and, and, you know, that could have caused a rift in the locker room. So especially going into Super Bowl 53 season where they started off one and two and they just looked terrible on the road all year and it does seem like they couldn't get their chemistry together. It makes that playoff run and the fact that they were still able to win a championship, comparing it to the MJ documentary and how they the Bulls were able to win that 6-1, the last dance. The mm-hmm. Patriots kind of had that last dance, although it extended the extra year. And even looking at the Patriots last year, and seeing how great their defense was, and even having Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon, you saw, like, dude, this team looks like they're stacked, and the fact that they just unraveled and fell apart halfway through the season, and it's just sad to see that, but any final thoughts on, yeah, no, on your side? Off that point of 53, uh, just one kind of underrated part of this, we're kind of comparing it to the 98 Bulls and, and, and so forth, that ASU championship game is even more crazy when you look back at it now. That final drive in overtime. I was there, man. It was cold as shit there. <laughs> third and long, almost every single, uh, every single, not every single drive, but every single uh, set of plays there. Third and long, Gronk, 10 yards down the field, first down by literally inches. Edelman down the field, double covered, inches. Hogan, Rex Burkett to cap it off. I mean, that is the stuff of legends, and that's the stuff we're going to be telling our kids about uh, when we're going to be on this drought, the championship drought, for I'm presuming a long time. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but maybe for a long time. I think 52 is being overrated a little bit when it comes to Malcolm Butler kind of causing that rift. I really don't think that had as much profound effect as we think it did because we kind of made up for it in the, the next season with that Super Bowl win. If we had not made the playoffs or something drastic the next season, that would have been a whole different indicator. But yeah. I think because we recovered... Uh, that next season and actually won. That kind of most of those feelings are kind of blown away. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just say uh, I'm very interested to. I know the players won't talk about it, but I'm very interested to see some of their takes, like uh, about Rob Gronkowski and Brady leaving, and I want to see how they respond this year. Um, <laughs> I think that Rob Gronkowski. I mean, Brady. He's allowed to do what he wants. He did bring some drama and some rift uh, between Belichick and how things were run, like the Alex Guerrero situation and the TB12 and all that. And then Gronk having a joint press conference of your injuries with the Gronk family and Patriots. Like a lot of the stuff that Belichick, it's now his team again. And and I, I and Bill, we trust. And even though in the draft, which we're about to get to in a second, making some of these wacky picks, you still trust the guy. He still has these guys that are going to listen to him. He still, one, he still is the greatest coach of all time. So can he get that locker room back under him, believing in him? We'll find out. Guys, NFL draft uh, is completed. The Patriots got their picks. But first of all, virtual draft this year, they kept chiming in to Vegas. I'm, I'm so shocked how like empty Vegas is right now. Yeah. Um, I feel bad for Joe Burrow because not only because he's going to become a Cincinnati Bengal, is that his like, dude, you would have been the first overall pick in Las Vegas, get your knob slobbed, you know, afterwards. That guy would have been partying nonstop, and he's just sitting at home with his parents, probably have like a grilled cheese afterwards to celebrate with a glass of milk and go to bed like upstairs. Uh, guys, what did you think about the NFL? Um, pretty much looked like everything ran smoothly for the most part, except Bill O'Brien. I think he had a little technical difficulties, and he was yelling and screaming. But uh, what do you guys think? Let's start off with you, uh, Justin. Yeah, I think uh... – I, th- I thought it exceeded my expectation on all levels. Um, you know, I thought that the NFL did a good job of 
engaging the families and the players and really getting that raw emotion, which quite honestly, like as we're kind of taking things, you know, from now and moving towards the present, I think that they should incorporate that um, into future drafts. Um, one huge takeaway I thought was hilarious, right locally here in Nashville, was the Vrabel household. I mean, it was all over the place, like the two, the two sons, you know, one in a mullet, the other one in a Power Ranger, and then the third kid taking a shit out back. I mean, <laughs> not, and with Vrabel having a huge chaw in his mouth. Like, I mean, you talk about raw. Like, I mean, yeah. I, as a fan, I, I thought that was hilarious. I don't know if it was professional, but it, it gave it some character. Because, I mean, when you're drafting and doing a Zoom, I'm thinking that's so serious for the organization. I mean, I thought they they nailed it in terms of, you know, in terms of getting everyone engaged and making it as entertaining as they possibly could. I think, uh, I think that uh, just because you're the commissioner of the league doesn't mean if they ever do this again, which they, they, they're not gonna, but golly, what a horrible fucking host of the night. <laughs> like just he was shifting through that brown just, pick. Just the stick, like he's talk. literally you talk about professionalism, Zola. He's leaning back in his little armchair. Hey, uh, with the 733rd pick of that. Like, come on, man. Like, you got tired after, like, 22 drafts. And they're like, oh, I need to sit down. And he's talking about his M&Ms. Like, who cares about your fucking M&Ms, dude? Like, you know, bring in if, – if, if you're going to do it where you don't have the excitement of the live crowd and the aura of being in Vegas or downtown lower Broadway or something, something that – that builds that energy. You can't have this just stone face, dead figure face of the league. And you want me to watch that for three and a half hours. It was just, it was just painful to watch, bring in uh, 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 somebody who has uh, experience, you know, be like an Oscar host or somebody like who can hold the night. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And, but that, it was just bad. It was just bad. You know, I'm with you 100%. First, he starts in the full suit, and he looks professional for about the first five picks. Then he switches to a V-neck sweater because he's uncomfortable. <laughs> then another 10 picks later, he's in the lazy boy in the corner announcing the picks. I'm I was waiting to see him in bed. Board. Round two, I thought he was going to be laying in bed, yeah, like, curled up with his wife, being like, oh, yeah, there's a guard from Fresno State. He's a bill. Back to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with you 100. percent And then imagine getting booed virtually. Imagine when you're Zoom call getting booed. That was awkward. Where he's like trying to get people you, like, yeah, boo me, guys, you, boo me, on, yeah, yeah, you know you don't love me like that. Yeah, boo. It was just yeah, awkward. I'm like, that was so, so awkward funny. with it. So awkward with it. And I think it was the virtual setup in general worked as well as it could have been expected. They didn't get hacked or anything. It went pretty smoothly. Yeah, there was some interruptions between picks. That was just more of the typical draft uh, agenda anyway. Many commercials. Pretty sure, Ni pretty sure Nike hacked our pick, but. Yeah, probably. Or we did the dog picking for us. Um, no, but in all seriousness, though, then you have Mel Kuyper on ESPN announcing the picks in his basement and breaking them down and everything. That dude looked like a Muppet with the setup he had last night. He had like a watermelon head going on. He had the big nose. It was just embarrassing to see how that setup was for his Zoom, too. Um, but virtual draft success? I'm going to say it like that just because it's obviously not as exciting as a good thing in Vegas. Um, but all things considered, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. With you, it could like you said, it could have went a lot worse, but I don't think it went well. I don't think it went well. Someone's gonna lower their microphone. I can hear everything. Is it me? We good? I'm getting feedback. All right, there we go. Sounds a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, it happens. 
Um, all right, guys, let's go into the Patriots, their draft. Um, so instead of picking 23rd overall, classic Belichick, we trade down. You end up get, picking up the, a second rounder, which they needed. They didn't have a second round pick. You pick up a third round. Okay, that looks pretty good. No problem. So this is what we're going to do before we even get into these picks. We're going to start with Jay. You're going to have it first. We'll go right to Justin, and then boom, we'll go to Stafford. You'll get to wrap it up for every single pick. So the Patriots, just, you know, you're watching there, you're sitting there, and I'm glad almost that they didn't even have a draft party because then imagine going to a draft party at Gillette Stadium or something, and you're, like, all excited, and they're like, ah, they just trade out. Um, It sounded like the Patriots wanted Justin Jefferson, if you look at some of the – if you hear that audio, because Belichick was like, was Jefferson just taken? And, like, yep, and they confirmed, like, all right, let's just trade down. So I'm very interested if they truly wanted him. He was just taking the pick right beforehand um, to pair up with Nikhil Harry. It would have been a nice weapon for a Stidham. So instead, they trade down. You go to the next day. It's Friday. All right, awesome. Pats are making the first pick of the 2020 NFL draft. And from – where is he from? Lornine? Uni- how do you say From it? Leanne Rimes University. Yeah. D2 college. You take safety – Kyle Duggar. So real quick, Kyle Duggar, which I'm sure that you guys have plenty to talk about him. He, uh, according, I got this little, and it was a nice little graphic that Matt Gordon made. Shout out to Matt Gordon. Uh, he says he dominated the combine and senior bowl. He led the senior bowl in tackles. Um, some of his combine rankings for safeties. He had the largest hands, the largest arms, the longest wingspan. His 42-inch vertical was first among safeties at the combine. His 134-inch broad jump was second among safeties at the combine. And his 40-yard dash was a 4.49, which was sixth among safeties. Uh, Kyle Duggar. And that just – and then everyone's like, classic Belichick. He was defensive play, small college defensive player of the year, D- D2 college. This guy gets picked. Jay, take it away. So the dude gets drafted, and, you know, I don't, I don't follow college football. I think even if I did follow college football, I wouldn't know who he was. I didn't do any pre-draft scouting. I'm not really that guy. So immediately when he gets drafted, I just throw out, like, the biggest, who the fuck is this guy? And – immediately start you know going to the youtube and all that uh i guess he's supposed to be kind of like a patrick chung type but maybe a little faster you know i the only thing i can think of is right now we're, we're trying to build a team to stop you know the deshaun watsons the the lamar jacksons and the pat mahomes of the league which makes sense if the guys are going to be a hard-hitting fast guy they can come up in the box and make a play then so be it but we don't have that fail safe of Tom Brady anymore to where we can miss on picks. So this is a leap taking a D two guy. I watch his film. It looks good, but he's playing against accountants and former and, and, and lawyers. These, these guys aren't going to be football players in the next month. So I don't know. You know, you, I watch his punt returns and I'm like, all right, that's cool and all, but it looks like me playing against eighth graders. I'm supposed to look good against those guys. I want to know how he's going to look playing against NFL talent. And I don't know. I don't care that he had a good senior bowl. Great. You had a good week of football against guys who, you know, senior bowl, they're good, but they're not the best of the best. The, the top tier, you know, round one NFL talent aren't going and, and going all out in the senior bowl. So it's a big question mark and it's a huge risk that we took. And if it works out and if he turns into Ed Reed, Sean Taylor type, then kudos to Belichick. But 
man, if we drafted another DB in the second round who doesn't work out, it's it's hurting and it sets our franchise back because every year we miss out on these top tier because we drafted out of the first round. We miss out on first round talent to draft this guy. And uh, I'm worried about it. I'm not, I'm, I'm cautiously, cautiously excited, but I'm worried about it. I get that, Jay. Um, a couple of points I want to make here. <clears throat> two, two points. Um, first one, Spike, you had shared that quote that uh, Scott Zolak had, had made. Um, when you talk about some no-name players, uh, one that he posed was Ben Coates. You know, we're talking about a Patriot Hall of Famer, 1990s NFL all-decade team. He went to a tiny D2 school in Salisbury, North Carolina, by, by Livingstone College. Doesn't even have a football program anymore. The thing I think the, the thing that I feel that Belichick and the coaching staff, Casario and the re and the rest of the scouting staff, they they're gauging not not so much like physical talent, but it's the intangibles. You know, taking guys that are in the sixth round, seventh round. I mean, look at Edelman and Brady, two of our the faces of our franchise. You know, they're taking these intangibles and making these what are like natural grinders. Here's a guy that literally got he, he got passed on by every you know, D1 college. And, you know, granted, yes, he's playing against guys that probably are thinking about, you know, other professions in their, you know, later life careers. But, you know, this guy had to grind every minute of every day just to get on placed in the realm of, of what would be considered the second round. So I, I, I'm really, you know, thinking upside on that part. And then how we'll use him, you know, I think definitely going along the lines of Chung and McCordy, you know, these are two guys that, you know, have been around for a while. I mean, I mean, McCourty, I'd thrown out stats here, was like 94% um, in terms of being being on the field. You know, that's got wear and tear on the body. And so as we're thinking about, you know, what we're going to be doing, you know, not just this year, 2020, but 2021, 20, 2022, you know, how are we going to get guys to plug and play? And I mean, I mean, he's an X factor on special teams as well. I mean, the, the, the video that we that we saw on YouTube, I mean, yes, he was dancing and, and dodging t tackles, but I mean, special teams is going to be huge, especially when we're playing the, the Ravens and the Chiefs and, and the Houston Texans and the rest of the, you know, really physical quarterbacks. And so, you know, any extra yard, you know, in, in terms of field position, especially when we have a, a young guy like Stidham, you know, we're not expecting him to go 80, 90 yards every single drive. But if we can get it as close to midfield as possible to now bring in our dude from Marshall to kick, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm all for it. So um, I thought it was a great pick and, you know, a lot of a lot of uncertainties, of course, but. You know, I, I think he's got a lot of upside in terms of intangibles. Yeah, so I uh, I graded the first five picks of the draft. I just want to kind of break this down. Uh, so Kyle Duggar at 37. First of all, I'm very disappointed we didn't use 23 to take Kenneth Murray or Patrick Queen out of LSU and Oklahoma, mm -hmm. respectively. Those could have been two game-changing linebackers that take the torch from Hightower and lead us into the next generation of Patriots football. I think we missed the missed the target big time on that front. I think two and generational talents. not only talents. do we miss on Queen, but he goes to our rival in Baltimore. Yeah. Baltimore, yeah. Plus, and then, but, yeah. yeah, and then Murray goes in that spot we traded out of, and that's even more ironic, I think, than, than anything else. Back to Duggar, I think everybody's concerned about the D two thing. The thing I'm most disappointed in, he's 24, so it's even it's it's more of like an advanced rookie than than we're used to. We're gonna get even less years out of him than we're supposed to. Uh, I think. Let me Belichick... let me chime in real quick, staff, with that though. I will say this: let me stick up for the guy. He is a Patriot. I'm gonna always stick up for him, no matter if I'm worried about him. Ed Reed was a rookie when he was 24 as well. So I looked into that. So I, I originally was very upset about the 24 thing, and I've looked into other players. 
So the 24 thing doesn't really bother me as much anymore. But sorry to interrupt. I want to throw that out there. Yeah, no, no, definitely fair enough. I gave this this draft pick a B minus rating because there are a lot of unknowns going into drafting a D2 guy this high in the second round. Um, and the the biggest problem I had with drafting a guy like this at the spot we did, Antoine Winfield Jr. is still on the board at this at this spot. A three time All American academic performer, not just on the field. This guy's smart, and that's the number one thing Belichick looks for. Is the smart guys? Why he always drives Rutgers guys? Uh, and so when you have a guy like Winfield who's so talented on the field and so talented in the classroom, he's a student of the game. His dad's one of the great cornerback uh, historically for the Vikings and the Bills. I just don't think it makes sense to take a guy like this who you probably could have gotten later in the draft if you wanted to. When there's better guys at his position available for you at 37 that you absolutely couldn't get uh, later in the draft. Um, I agree with you guys. Your guys' comparisons totally. He's a Patrick Chung-esque player. He's faster, a lot faster than Patrick Chung. Uh, I think the Patriots often tend to try to outsmart every other team. We try to get kind of arrogant with some of their draft picks, especially the past couple of years. Uh, I think this is a prime example of one of them. They also value special teams, which is, of course, a very important aspect of this game. It's a three-phase game. People often neglect that part of the game. But you don't need to draft two-way players or three-way players, I should say, um, this high in the draft. That, that's my main concern. I think Winfield's a better player. I think Duggar has potential. I'm not going not gonna to roast the guy. I think he still has potential to be a very good player for a long time on this team, especially with the scheme fit he has being like a Chung-esque player. Uh, I was just disappointed that we, there was better talent on the board and we just didn't capitalize on it. So a B-minus rating for now, but I'm hoping that changes my mind. Uh, just looking at what I, what I did, not much on this pick, but every other pick going forward. So I was trying to uh, scope out like highlights. So I go on YouTube or something like that. I do a little quick screen record. Uh, Duggar's highlights mainly was the punt returns. And yeah, you're playing against the accountants and lawyers and that. And that's funny. And will it translate to, you're not even going to D1. You're going to the NFL. So will that even translate? Uh, that, that Patrick Chung thing, what do you think about Patrick Chung going into 2020? I know that he could end up being a cap casualty, meaning that they might even just cut him to save some money. Do you think? Patrick Chung sticks around for the one more season. I think it's his final year in the NFL regardless, yeah. to be frank with you. I think these safeties are kind of running their course uh, here in New England and the league yep. specifically. There was rumors about McCourty retiring even up to two seasons ago, and yep. you've seen Chung's wear and tear, the kind of play style he plays with. It's a very physical tolling thing for an athlete. Uh, I think it's his last year, period. Yeah, it is. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Pat. No, no, I was just going to say... Gonna, I, think, I think the role that he's going to serve... I think the role he's going to serve this year... Um, between McCordy and Chung is, is really develop this young talent. And I think that's going to be the main theme for so many different positions, not so much in the, in the, you know, secondary, but I mean, we're talking on the offensive line, defensive line. I mean, it seems like this is the start of the rebuild, which we all knew was going to inevitably going to be happening. Um, but Chung and McCordy, especially um, kind of being the mentors as they kind of make their exit. And, and that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, you said it a little bit better. You're more educated than me. But I was going to say that pretty much you, you want to keep someone like Chung around. You're not going to screw around with him. He's a patriot. Like, you know, that's what it is. Same thing with like a Hightower situation. He's got $11 million, $12 million this upcoming year. They could cut Hightower and they only owe him two. Like, it's just like you're not going to screw around with that. Hightower is a patriot. Like, I, Belichick, I he knows that, hey, we're going to keep you guys for the last couple of years. Just stay here. Help us with the young guys. And I know a lot of these guys, uh, uh, it, it's great. It, it, if, if this is the rebuild year, they're still going to be competitive. But you know, like, wow, they have a lot of great talent for their future. Moving on. Patriots. They only had one second round. Wait a minute. 
let's take two of our third rounders and trade up. They end up trading up. They get this guy from Michigan. They get Josh Uche. Now, also, when we're going through all these picks, I might mispronounce some names. Josh Uche didn't find, and this is a little bio, Josh Uche didn't find himself, uh, didn't find much playing time for Michigan until 2019, but showed steady flashes as a pass rusher in 2018 despite limited opportunities whenever he's been given chances to rush Uche has been productive showcasing good variety burst bend and effort while he doesn't have the skill set to play exclusively on the edge in the NFL he has been given chances to serve in a true off-ball role and there has been some positive flashes in all phases so I looked at this pick as well too then it started coming out him and Winovich are boys and Mm -hmm. I and, and, and this pick to me and I said this to a few people, uh, a couple phone calls here and there, was a Winovich pick. And I feel like they're trying to build a, the defense around Winovich. I feel like Winovich is going to be the Patriot for 10 years, and he's going to be the future captain. And I think based on, number one, it, it, fan uh, the, the fan ability, the way he connects with the fans, he's already well-liked, well-received, his charity. Number two, charity work that he does in the community. Um, number three, he's kind of that, when he got drafted last year, Winovich, he's got that Gronk-esque like kind of funny, fun boy type of thing that Belichick, they he, he kind of likes that in a way. Like as long as you come in here, you do your job, and Winovich is, I think, is going to step up big this upcoming year. Still learning, but um, Josh Uche, Michigan guy, round two, Jay, take it away. All right, so it's weird. So I've read up a little bit about this guy, and I hear two things. I hear one, he's very similar to a Teddy Bruschi type player. And that he's here to fill Jamie Collins's role, and that kind of confuses me because I feel like those are two different things. Uh, but I'd be happy, honestly, with if he does either one of those. If he's 80 percent of a Teddy Bruschi, he's a Patriot for life. I mean, I'll take that ten out of ten times. Uh, you're right with the whole like Winovich thing. I 100 percent agree with you. There, there is a lot to be said, especially when you're dealing with. You know, it'd be one thing if you draft like a, a a lineman or a corner, you know, out of Michigan. But you got two linebackers now. Are usually a defensive end, but he's probably going to play in an outside linebacker position for us. From everything that I'm hearing, there's a lot to be said for having that camaraderie, you know, and and having that ability to kind of know what the other guy's going to do without having to talk to him, and and that goes a long way uh, in sports. So hopefully it all works out. I'm expecting big things out of the kid. Uh, just maybe not right away. I, I, I see a rookie year kind of for him, like we saw last year with Winovich. And then, like you like you said, I think Winovich is going to take that bump in his second year, and I see Uche doing that uh, 21. Yeah, no, definitely. I, you know, as we're thinking about, you know, I guess the common theme is kind of the uh, the rebuild, if you will. And so, obviously, we have our, our uh, concerns in the secondary, but certainly on the the middle that the linebacking line, you know, in terms of us being able to lose, you know, Landon Roberts and Jamie Collins, Kyle Vannoy, obviously, you know, two of them going down to Miami to go hang out with Flores. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, I think that this pick, particularly 100% spot on the relationship that he has with Chase Winovich, someone whose, you know, um, opinion is certainly valued, you know, players in the chemistry. Um, I, I guess Winovich was talking about how when they were in college together, they would constantly talk about fundamentals. They would always talk about you know certain plays, whether it be during practice or past games or even future games. Um, so I think that they can certainly build off that and create that you know um, team chemistry across the board, and not specifically just between the, those two. Um, I think his versatility, you know, in terms of being the pl- 
to be able to play on the line and then off the line as well. Um, kind of like a north-south type uh, player um, compared to like a Brandon Spikes uh, type deal or even a Teddy Bruschi at that. But, you know, as we're, we're facing against more, uh, you know, mobile quarterbacks, you know, we're not just – it's not just the running back who's going to be making the moves. We need to have guys that are quick to the edge and be able to cut that, you know, um, to the sideline off. So I think it's a great pick, 100%. I thought it was smart. Um, and um, I think it's a great fit just simply based on who we have on the team and the uh, culture he's coming from. I'm with you 1,000%. I gave this grade a B plus, this draft pick a B plus. The number one thing I had for Uche when I was breaking down his uh, film was versatility. Like you just said, he, he has a lot of ability to just change where he is on the field and still be effective. I think he 100% fills a Jamie Collins void he, you leave because he has, he's a situational type guy where week one he can come in and be effective. Might not be a starter right away. Might not be uh, as impactful uh, as a guy like Hightowers or even Collins is his rookie year. But he makes plays, and he's going to be similar to what Winovich was last year when he has these splash plays. You see potential there. Mm-hmm. You start to see what he's going to become in the future for the Patriots. Obviously, it fills a need. Like you just highlighted, Van Noy went down to Miami uh, with Brian Flores as well as Landon Roberts. He's going to be one of those guys who's going to be a value guy this year. Next year, take that step and really become a starter. Not, I'm not sure if he's going to be a Pro Bowl type guy, but I think he'll be a starter for a long time on this New England Patriots defense. With mm-hmm. I uh, also liked the Jeff Howe tweet that comes directly a quote from Josh Uche right afterwards about him playing in New England. It's a good fit for me because I'm a hard-ass worker and the Patriots work their asses off. I just Great. like that. Love that mindset. You're already trying to establish like, hey, I'm here. I know I have to put the work in. I know it's going to take time. And that's the that's the, that's a Patriot. That's a Patriot right there. And, that's uh, a, whether- I'm a dog mentality right there. <laughs> Yeah, and and it that's the, what we want to see there, and uh, I think this uh, kind of made up for that, you know, Ruggers pick. If you were not feeling that confident, and you're like, that's that's somebody that's I think that's like a I, home run pick for sure. You're that not taking sexy picks. You're not going to grab someone that might be the instant guy. And right there, back to back, what Stafford said with both those the grades, B minus, B plus. That's what Belichick's known for is getting a bunch of B players. Because sometimes you you might slip in the grades and you fall to become a C or D player. See you later. And sometimes those B players turn into A players. I, I thought this was awesome. And I think the Winovich and Uche thing is going to be something great. And, I mean, Michigan, Tom Brady, Ty Law, like those Michigan guys. Now you have another duo with Michigan guys. So it, it's, it was interesting uh, for sure. Moving on. Next pick. Uh, a two-time. National champion Afrenine Jennings. Does anybody um, know how to say this guy's name? Af- 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 you and the commission Anfer- both have Anfer- 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 You guys don't remember Penny? <laughs> <laughs> Penny Jennings. So we have Penny Jennings out of Bama. Um, I, there was a pros and cons list that I saw, and it says uh, here's some of his pros in the passing game. His production has superseded his skill set, shows very good strength and pop in his hands to disengage and close on the quarterback in the run game. He is a heavy at the point of attack. He has very good hand placement, very difficult to move vertically. Uh, there was some cons, and this was funny because his con said he's laid off the ball and lacks the fast twitch to be an elite running uh, a linebacker. But yet in the video that I posted was him coming off like right as the ball is being snapped and getting right to the quarterback. And now obviously those are going to be just a couple good plays, but Jay toss it over to you. What do you think about Penny Jennings? All right. First of all, Anthony is how you say his name. <laughs> <laughs> like seems like nobody knows how to say it. Uh, you guys missed out on the whole early nineties or late nineties, uh, uh, Orlando magic. Anywho. Uh, I mean, the guy, 
honestly, I think here's what's going to happen. You're going to have Uche coming in. He's going to be your, your first and second down guy. Uh, and then uh, Anthony is going to come. Excuse me. I flipped that. Jang's going to be your first. Uh, yeah, I know. Jang's going to be your, your first down guy, second down guy. And then when you need to get to the quarterback, you're going to put in Uche. I see them splitting time with each other. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, hopefully the guy, uh, you know, puts in some work and, and helps us out. But again, I know nothing about the guy. You know, I, I told Stafford this when we went live. I don't know shit about these guys. I do a little <laughs> bit of homework before we go live and I hope for the best. But, uh, you know, I think he'll be all right. I think he'll be all right. I think he'll be a, a role player for us, but I'm not expecting too much. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think going off the same uh, mantra of what we've talked about with uh, Uche and uh, Winovich, you know, we're talking about another program down in Alabama. Um, his, the, one current teammate he has on the team is Damian Harris running back. Um, and the fact that, you know, Belichick took a, you know, obviously Harris didn't get a lot of plays last year, but again, he's got the intangibles. He's got that type of mentality, dog, eat dog mentality. And so, and his trust in Nick Saban. I mean, these guys, their relationship goes back to the mid nineties when they were coaching together with the uh, Cleveland Browns. Um, and so I, I think when Saban's like, Hey, listen, listen, these are the set of guys that I think will plug and play. I mean, they talk all the time, you know, you know, and they recap each other's game film and all that. And they, you know, what's what's this guy's pro? What's this guy's con? So I think him having that professional network there certainly played a role in why we drafted so high for this guy. Um, you know, Anthony was one of those players, you know, prior, you know, coming out of high school and such that had such high, you know, upside and potential. Um, he had a, a, a major knee injury in 2017 against Clemson. Um, and it really sidelined him and, of course, you know, kind of lowered his draft stock. Um, having said that, you know, what, where I see in kind of comparison with like Uche, where Uche can play the line and be, you know, um, the run and pass game, um, <clears throat> Anthony Jennings is going to be more on the edge in terms of being able to kind of, um, slow down the run in there. But nonetheless, I think both of them are going to be in a developing stage and, um, and work out for us, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, so I think you're right again, a hundred percent. This was not, a, this was less about Penny Jennings. It's more about Nick Saban. Saban yeah. is the guy who, who relayed 100%. this to Bill Belichick and said, Hey, this guy has potential. Take him while you can, before he starts to drop too low and become a real steal, uh, for another team as the draft develops on, um, the one thing I kind of wrote about him looking over the Bama uh, film in general, not just his specific highlight film, he's definitely a setup guy. I think he makes other guys succeed, uh, and that's a big value thing for the Patriots because it's all about the team. It's not about individual players and stats. Yeah, he might not give you eight sacks a season like he's supposed to, but he might give you three and give another guy two and a half on every, every all of the line. You know what I mean? So it's, it's going to be tough for uh, people to evaluate him specifically as an individual. But as a team effect, it's a great pick for me uh, in the spot they picked him at. I gave him a C plus because it reminds me eerily of Derek Rivers. And I just don't want to relive this kind of uh, nonsense again where we keep saying, oh, he has potential. There's potential there. We were seeing it in practice. He's going to crack it this year. It's going to be this year. Well, no, it wasn't this year. It's going to be next year. I can't keep hearing this this nonsense about how there's potential there when there's clearly not. Some guys are both in the NFL and some guys aren't. Yes, Jenks had a terrible knee injury, but he played at Bama. He was successful at Bama, and he made an impact when he was on the field, especially affecting the guys next to him. Uh, but at the end of the day, it reminds me of Rivers a lot. That's why I gave it a C plus. I just hope he can break that mold. Um, cautionally optimistic is how I would put my my faith in Jennings right now. I know you said about the potential of Derek Rivers. Will this better be his year? Because this is it for him. <laughs> it's, always year. It's, but always it's always next year. It's always next year. But if he actually hits that potential, what a year to do it. Because this yeah. is the year you need it. So 
we're moving on. We're gonna end the. We're gonna end day two here with the back-to-back picks, pretty much in a way, because uh, a lot of quarterbacks still out there. Quarterbacks were you know sliding down. And you're like, all right, well maybe Stidham's gonna have some tough competition. You know, there's still a chance to get Jalen Hurts. There's still yeah. A before chance we move to- on here, before we move on here, Jalen Hurts in the second round to the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. Yeah. Are we kidding? That was the shock draft pick of the entire night. Of the and the worst excuse ever. Oh, well, you never know because COVID-19, we might need like another quarterback. Like, Give me a break. <laughs> Give me a break. So, I cannot believe. I mean, Penderson stole him, and it really it might affect their game more than I think it will. But a second-round pick for an insurance policy on Wentz is, frankly, ridiculous. So you're going into day, you're going into day two, you know Jalen Hurts, and you're like, oh, you know Jay Fromm. You start looking at some of these guys. You're like, all right, like. Who's going to be competing? And now you're at the end of the third round. You're like, okay, they definitely need to get a quarterback. They definitely need to get something. We want to have something against Stidham. The Patriots go back-to-back tight ends. Now, not exactly mm-hmm. back-to-back in the sense of pick-to-pick. It's just when they picked. Uh, so going for those two, you got these two tight ends, and I'm probably going to fuck up both names. Well, one name. <laughs> um, you, got UCL, you got UCLA UCLA tight end, Devin Asasi. Oh, did I say that right? Asiani. Asiati. Say it again. Asiati. Asiati. How do you say his name? <laughs> I thought it was like Asiasi. Asiasi. You better get this right. Because this is what. Okay. Last time, yeah. the last time. He's got to earn me saying his name right. You're wrong in One or the other. This is a common theme for me. The last time the Patriots drafted two tight ends in the same draft was Gronk and Hernandez. So you started seeing this. Devin is a breath of fresh air for a team looking for a prospect that can fulfill the traditional inline duties of a tight end and be moved around the formation as a flex weapon. While he needs polish as both a blocker and receiver, he has a strong foundation to build upon with the upside to contribute in both areas. Devin has the upside to become a star in the NFL and should at least be a quality t- tight end two by year two, three. Then you go in Virginia tech. Welcome to new England. Dalton Keem. Virginia Tech uh, Dalton has the makings of much more impactful professional player than he was in college. Despite some exciting flashes, he didn't receive the chances he deserved in the past game, and the offense failed to provide him the opportunity. With that said, he's shown the ability to produce as a blocker and receiver in a variety of alignments, and he opens a world of possibilities for an NFL offense. Uh, Dalton is highly competitive in everything he does, and there and there are baseline skills per- uh, present to forecast him to a meaningful role in sub packages and special teams in the NFL. Two tight ends. I'm gonna let this go because we're package this together. Jay, take it away. The two tight ends. Now you got four tight ends now, and not counting the signings afterwards too, which we'll get into later. But you got four tight ends now. You're looking at and with Lacoste and and, and Izzo. It looks like they might be on their way out, packing your bags. So take it away. All right. Here's my first. Uh... I guess, impression of Asi, 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 whatever his name is. He's the only guy that I currently follow on Instagram whose Instagram story is longer than yours, Babs. <laughs> this guy, when he got drafted, <laughs> if you said anything, if you were anywhere in the world and you said something about this kid getting drafted, he reposted it. It was ridiculous. Like, dude, relax. Like, you just got drafted in the NFL, and he's just on his phone, loving life, <laughs> loving people talking about him. He's to me that I, at first I was like, this guy is all about me. Like, I don't know if I like that. Like, he's kind of 
you know, he wants the world to see all about him. But then I thought about it. You got that? Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's crazy. But then I thought about it, and I thought, who – his job is going to be to catch balls. And that mentality of me, 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 that's that Terrell Owens mentality of I want the show to be about me. And that's those are the guys who go out there, and they, they snatch that ball away from the DBs, and he's going to be snatching from linebackers, whatever. But I dig it. I kind of like it. I like the fact that he's like, look at me. I'm going to make plays. I'm a playmaker. This is all about me. And I'm going to put all you all in the dirt. And I love it. So I'm excited about him. But I'm not excited right now because I don't think he's actually going to contribute for maybe about two or three years. I think that uh, uh, same as well with Dalton Keene. Uh, I think they're of the four of them, you know, none of these drafted, undrafted tight ends are going to stay on the team. Of the four of them, one of them's got to go. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, Lacoste or Izzo, but one of them's going to go. And I still think it's going to be a position of weakness for us. But I, I can see one of the two has to end up being a serviceable tight end uh, in the near future. I just don't think it's going to be this year. They're too young, too raw. But, you know, hopefully we get something decent out of it. Good point there. Um, going on, um, Devin Asiani out of UCLA here. Here's another connection of the, the Belichick professional network, Chip Kelly. He, you know, he comes, I mean, he, he obviously was with the Philadelphia Eagles and then he was with my Oregon Ducks. Um, but even going back further, University of New Hampshire. So you have a guy from New England, you know, that Belichick has kind of grown fond over the years and any type of recommendation, Belichick's going to take, um, take that into notice. Um, <clears throat> Devin Asiani was a transfer from the University of Michigan. So we're coming from two types of programs, not only just Chip Kelly with that personal connection, but the Michigan program in general. So that's kind of a two-prong why this guy may be of uh, value to us, or at least um, we should naturally share some interest. Um, his major breakout year was only his senior year, um, which kind of inevitably was why he transferred to UCLA. His big asset and weapon is the blocking. You know, for him to be blocking off the line so that we can be able to set up plays or extend plays, um, this is kind of what made Gronk um, pretty – pretty valuable to us obviously besides you know catching balls but um you know for us to be able to get guys open and block um Dalton Keene <clears throat> here's here's another guy that's super super versatile um he lined up you know on defense on offense I mean hell he had a start at Virginia Tech where he was a running back for God's sakes I mean so Belichick loves these players that he can plug and play let's see how he does in this situation let's see how he does in that situation you know he just seems super valuable in the fact that he can do so many different things and and um and be, you know, the epitome of what our offense, you know, likes to roll with. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll the CSC. I think that's funny as hell, Jay. So I'm going <laughs> to call him Devin a CSC. So Devin a CSC, UCLA. <laughs> I gave him a C for this ranking because essentially Finish. we just drafted Dwayne Allen. We just drafted Dwayne Allen. That's basically what exactly we did going forward, looking ahead at this college career. I mean, yeah, he has potential to catch the ball. So did Dwayne Allen coming out of college. I mean, Dwayne Allen wasn't basically a tackle playing tight end coming out of college. He had some athleticism and he had some ability to go downfield and get the football. He just reminds me exactly. I don't know why. I just keep watching the film over and over again. All I see is Dwayne Allen. And so obviously that's a that's a mark off. Um, number one reason why I didn't like this besides the player himself, Adam Trubin out of Dayton still on the board, and he is an absolute Bill Belichick draft pick. Small school guy, tons of potential, smart kid, uh, stayed out of trouble. I just thought that made a lot of sense. And to have, have him pass on Trubin for a different tight end, uh, was just shocking to me. So I'm going to leave that as a C for a C, a C. Boom. Got it. Uh, <laughs> and moving on to Dalton Keene here. 
Loved this pick. Absolutely loved this pick for a couple of reasons. One, versatility. That's the whole theme of this draft was versatility, plug and play, being able to do a lot of things uh, on both sides of the ball. Keen reminds me a lot of Aaron Hernandez and just minus the murder part. Uh, Keen is an effective uh, weapon anywhere you put him on the field. And I think the interesting little tidbit here, I'm going to relate it to back. This is a Joe Stafford exclusive here. Uh, James Devlin's injury last season was scary. A lot of people thought he was going to retire after next year. Leave it to Bill Belichick to revitalize the most dormant, unused position of football, fullback, fullback. by plugging Dalton Keen in there and having him play all over the field. Have him take snaps at running back in that fullback setup on the I-form, right up the gut, or maybe even a toss. Maybe you know, experiment with that a little bit. He can play in the slot as a receiver. He can play off the line as a tight end. He can play online as a tight end. Hell, he can line up as a receiver if you wanted to. I love the versatility that he gives you right here. I really do want to see if Belichick kind of explores that fullback role for Keen once Devlin's out of the picture. I think that could be a very vital and kind of new age era way to shift the modern NFL's offense. Those so, are all things Hernandez did when he was with us, too. A hundred percent, yeah. So I'm going to give Dalton Keen here a B-minus rating. I think the, the place he was drafted that gives him even more value because of the versatility and kind of effect that it gives you as uh, the fifth draft pick uh, in your class. I think it's just a great value for him. And I really do think Keen's going to be an effective player for us going forward. I, uh, I'm i a little nervous for Pat Fryermuth. I wanted him to come to New England. And now you, <laughs> you draft two tight ends like this in the third round. And we'll see what ends up happening next year in the 2021 draft. But, uh, you know, Pat, if you're listening out there, I'm still rooting for you. I hope I hope the Patriots take you. I mean, the Bears have 10 tight ends. So, like, we can just keep adding on and just see what ends up happening going forward. So, all right. That's day two. We wrapped it up. You end off with two tight ends. Everyone's freaking out. Well, there's no quarterback. Oh, we got to oh, – don't worry about it. We can still pick somebody up. We can still go something. And by the way, pick. for all you big Georgia guys, Jake Frum's still at the board at this point. He really slowed yeah. down everyone's draft. I mean, went before him. So what we're going to do here, just for time constraint, um, I'm going to talk about the next player, and then we're just going to wrap it up with the last four and kind of combine them to to one. But I want to give this one person, uh, you know, I want to have this uh, as one individual here. Uh, Round five, the Pages needed a kicker. They had no kicker on the roster. When they got a kicker at this spot, yes, it's round five. You get a kicker at this spot. they didn't have anybody. Like, yeah, you had to take something. There was a need, and that need was never out there. So they get this kicker from Marshall. Uh, what's his name here? Justin Rawhasser. How do you say it? Rawhasser. 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 So uh, a couple of things about him. Uh, I saw his highlight. He had, like, a game winner for Marshall last year. Mm-hmm. He kicked uh, two 50-yard field goals. He was two for two, which is good. We need someone with the boot. You need someone out there. My interesting thing, this was happening, I'm, I'm going to give Jay the time to talk about this a little bit more, is that someone DM'd me, you know, I posted the highlight, and then someone goes, what do you think about his 3% tattoo? And I was like, what are you talking about? So then he zoomed in, it's like, this, this tattoo that has like three eyes on it. And I had no idea about any of that. So then I, I looked it up, it, it was, well, I saw Jay's story about it, and Jay, that obviously you had something to talk about it. And I was like, okay, like that's kind of you know weird. I posted about the New York Post article, which talked about his tattoo, <laughs> and it says that he's going to cover it up. 
So all I did was I posted the article on Instagram. It says that he's pretty much. It says right here that Justin's going to be renouncing the controversial group, the three percenters, after facing backlash for having the tattoo on his forearm. I know some people will think one way of this is just a bigger deal. Who gives a shit? Others take this very serious, and I do want to give them time to talk about the talk about it themselves. I do not. When it comes to politics and sports, I leave it out there. I don't want to put my name on something like that. I went out there and said two things. I said, first, milk tats. You can cover it up. Give them a little shout out. <laughs> the second thing was, and something that I, I feel that needs to be said was, I'm actually, I know that some people like, doesn't matter what you have tattooed, this and that. I'm surprised teams don't look more into that and that that should be like, you know, the Patriots probably knew. I don't know if Belichick knew or not. I don't know if the Patriots knew or not. But why aren't tattoos examined a little bit more? And I'm sure they are at the combine. I'm sure they are in interviews. Hey, what's this tattoo mean? What's that tattoo mean? Um, it's something in the police world that you examine tattoos and know what gangs the people are associated with. So I'm actually, I mean, it, it didn't really blow up the way it's blown up what you think it would for Patriots. But uh, obviously, New York Post wanted to cover it, whatever. I post it, and then everyone goes off and saying, like, he's American and, like, this and that. And then you just see the kind of a lot of ignorance going on. Uh, I just like to post things sometimes to show some of the stupidity out there. And listen, you can do, you can be on this side or this side. I don't care what side you're on. I mean, whatever. I'm not picking a side. I just thought it was just an interesting thing. Jay, and I, and I talked to Jay. And I said, Jay, I really just want you to like at least write on there because I know that you've you know you've honored and served our country as well in in, in the military, and we thank you for that. And uh, this meant something towards you personally. And obviously, you know he's covering it up, and I'm sure it's going to be gone. There's fifty. <laughs> there's going to be fifty three men on this roster. Some are probably not going to agree with it, and they're not always going to be buddy-buddy. They're going to go out there, do the job together, and then you know go home. But, Jay, you have the floor for an extra time if you want to talk about yeah, the sure. tattoo itself. So, all right, let me preface this for a second. Uh, I posted you know, a little story, and I gave a little background uh, about the three percenters, and I got backlash for it, and I got called unpatriotic, un-American, and go ahead. And that's the thing right there because shout out to our guy Jorge who comes on like every Instagram live because he saw that and people like people don't even know about what Jay has done for our country and has served <laughs> and gone overseas and this and that and they're shitting on him calling him and he said and he was showing me that stuff and and I was just like it just shows some of the ignorance and that's what I'm saying about the ignorance about about, yeah. about that but go ahead sorry yeah so a little background about me I served eight years in the United States Army served two tours of Iraq uh, one was twelve months one was fifteen months. So it's all 27 months in Iraq. Uh, so forgive me if I get a little upset when these little uh, bitches come out and cosplay, uh, trying to dress up like me. Uh, kind of pisses me off. Uh, but here's the thing uh, with this guy, uh, Justin Rohrhauser. Uh, I saw the pick, and I was happy. I was like, hey, we got a kick, got a kicker. Fills a need. Probably good. We drafted him. And uh, I was actually out with my girlfriend doing a uh, couple stuff. And on the way back, I stopped at Wendy's. I started researching a little more, and I saw the tattoo. And I knew what it meant. And let me just – so here's what Justin had to say about the tattoo. Let me put this out there so he can have his little word first. He said, I got that tattoo when I was a teenager, and I have a lot of family in the military. I thought it stood for a military support symbol at the time. Obviously, it's evolved into something that I do not want to represent. 
When I look back on it, I should have done way more research before I put any mark or symbol like that on my body. And it's not something that I ever want to represent. It will be covered. Cool. A lot of people took that and they said, I'm okay with that. He's a patriot. Uh, nah, fuck that. He's 23 years old. He's had, he said he got it when he was a teenager. He's had that tattoo on his body for at least five years. Uh, he went to Marshall, which is in the, uh, it's, just, it's in West Virginia. And, you know, I'm not going to like stereotype people, but people in West Virginia, they know what the three percenters are. So for him to say, I don't know what it stood for, whatever, maybe when you were 16, 17, you got that tattoo. I, I'm going to give him a pass. Maybe he didn't know what the whole backstory was. And he got a tattoo thinking that he was supporting the military. And for that, I appreciate it. Much love. But at some point within the last five years, I refuse to believe that he didn't come to terms or to the knowledge of what that tattoo stood for. So here's a little thing. I got all these people telling me that. So for those who don't know, the three percenters uh, refer references the three percent of the colonists and Americans who stood up as an armed militia against the Brits. They are an anti-government, anti-police uh, state uh, hate group. They can say they're not a hate group. I've had many people tell me they're not racist. They're not anti-America. That's cool. You know who else says that they're not racist? The Proud Boys, which is our white nationalist anti-Muslim group, and the KKK. If you go look up what the KKK says about themselves, they say that they are not a hate group and they are not racist. So I don't care what your own literature has to say as an organization. Your actions will always speak louder than your words. The guy who started the three percenters, his name is, let me get it here, make sure I pronounce it right, Mike Vanderbilt. He came into terms after the whole Waco and the Branch Davidians and the David Koresh stuff. So if you want to learn more about that, there's a great documentary on Netflix called Waco. That was how all this got started. That's how he got into this anti-nationalist, anti-government uh, field. Uh, and then uh, a black man was uh, voted as our president. And this is when the three percenters took off. Uh, there have been multiple, multiple domestic terrorism activities and plots that have luckily been stopped uh, that were done in the name of the three percenters and that were done... Uh, who afterwards, these people who tried these things said that they were inspired by the writings, uh, by the books and the blog that this Mike Vander, whatever his fucking name is, uh, posted. They uh, have done many uh, armed militia standoffs with the federal government. And there have been, there was this guy, let me pull up his name real quick. Uh, his name's Alan Scarcella. He was arrested in connection with the shooting of five people uh, at a Black Lives Matter protest in Minneapolis, and he was a proud three percenter. And so I, I, I hear all these people tell me that, well, the three percenters is this large group and there's just these bad apples that are in it. But it seems like the founder who has uh, promoted violence against our government uh, it doesn't make sense that you can say that it's just a few apples when the leader of the organization is promoting violence. Uh, after Sandy Hook, uh, when 20-something kids got shot in Newton, Connecticut, this guy, Mike, was emailing senators, Connecticut uh, politicians, 
and saying that if you increase gun control, that there will be bloodshed and we will act violently against you. So I don't know why people want to associate with that group. And before I get all the texts and the DMs that I'm this cuck liberal guy who is anti-American and anti-Second Amendment, fuck you, I have shot more guns than you have, buddy. I love guns. Guns are fun as fuck. I have shot M250 cows. I've shot AK-47s. I've shot M249s, M4s, M16s. I've shot everything, baby. They're fun. I love it. I get it. I've lived in households. I've had a gun in my household for the last five, six years. I'm okay with that. It's your right as an American to have a gun. It is not your right as an American to take that gun, cosplay up like you're some G.I. Joe soldier, fake ass, and go provide security for the far alt-right at the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally, literally providing security for Nazis chanting anti-Semitic chants. So the fact that this guy has this tattoo, and he's had this tattoo for at least, at the minimum, five years, it worries me. I don't want him on the team. He needs to go. He needs to be cut. I don't care that if he covers up the tattoo, it's been too long, and you should have known this by now. I just want to say... Uh, I agree with you in the sense of being 20, 23 years old, you said he is. Um, yes. To, you should have had, I know still at 23, you can be pretty immature, but especially when you're going into the NFL draft and you should know what kind of that represents now. If you think and you believe in that, it's hard to be like to get rid of someone's beliefs. But because of the society and world that we live in, like you should have known better to, hey, cover that up beforehand. And, um, you know, Jay, I do want to say, so you're never going to forgive him. You're, that's always going to stick there. This guy get, hits a game winner and wins you the Super Bowl. Like, how would, how would you feel about that? Just, just wonder. I'm going to wish someone else kicked it. I'm good yeah. from 40 in. Yeah. So, <laughs> but and again, if it kicks you know, inside 40, I'm going to be really pissed. <laughs> you know, uh, I just think that in the sense of someone says, you know, cause you're not the only one who thought that someone else sent me a DM and it kind of made me look into it. And then I did my research on it. And again, I don't want to pick sides for politics as an individual, nor as a company at ride the wave. But then when I see kind of affecting you and you have a lot of, and again, educated the way you're talking and the way you're putting your research out there, I said, you know what? Jay deserves time to have a platform to just talk about it. And I think it should be known you know, pick your sides, this and that. But, uh, at the end of the day, I, I think that's in the back of my mind. And I, I also think it too. Look at some of the Patriots players. They see this guy coming in. They probably are not going to like him either. You come in, you do your job. And as long as you're working, I'm sure they won't even think about it. But at the same time, I'm sure he's not going to make that many friends on the roster. Like it's not going to be always beloved by every single one of them. So it, it does need to be set out there, but it is interesting. I want to, I, we want to move on here. Um, Jay, I don't know. You probably saw me do this, and I did this as more of a just, you know me. I like to get clicks. I like to get likes. I like to do this. Last year, going into last year in the offseason, I posted a Donald Trump Patriots jersey and said, oh, I lost a bet, and I had to wear this. And, again, I don't want to attach politics. It was more of like, hey, I lost a fantasy football thing, and I have to wear this. And the amount of comments I got that were all in support of Donald Trump and, like, um, like, that's an awesome jersey, this and that. And those that were trying to speak against it would just get shut down by Pat's Nation and stuff. And I saw that very si similar to um, what you were trying to post yesterday, educating 
you know, in writing long, long comments to educate what's going on and people just trying to shut it down and this and that and, and saying those names, but they don't understand who you are as an individual and what you've done for our country and, and, and everything like that. So it, it just made it a, a very interesting conversation, but pushing that out of the way and Justin and, and, and Joe as a kicker, have you done your research on him? And what do you think as a kicker? Politics. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the, you know, aside politics aside and such, I mean, he started his college career at the university of Rhode Island, you know, right down the road from Foxborough. Obviously they got some familiarity with, you know, what he's done as a, as a player and, and obviously Belichick and the team having, you know, strong roots in that area. Um, you know, taking their word for it as at least someone that they need to keep him um, top of mind. Um, he holds a record of for 14 points in a single game um, and then transferred to West Virginia um, in setting some records there um, in Huntington. I mean, as a kicker, listen, take everything aside. He seems like he's someone who's really reliable. He's made some big kicks, regardless if it's not at the top, you know, power five conference. Um and quite frankly, look at Vinatieri. I mean, he came out of South Dakota, for God's sakes. I mean, you know, we need a guy right now. He seems like he's a good plug, and um, he comes highly regarded. So I'm, I'm in favor of it as talent-wise um, and looking forward to the season on special teams. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it this short and sweet. Uh, he's good from 40 in. It seems like the percentage is there. Uh, he's had a couple, not, not a lot of experience outside of 50, but uh, outside of 50, he, I mean, so far, it's encouraging at the very least. Uh, we need bodies at kicker. I think we still bring in Nick Folk to compete with him uh, during training camp. But at the end of the day, I think it's a smart pick in the fifth round. You always take your special teamers in the fifth round when you're Bill Belichick and the Patriots. So it wasn't shocking when they put him in the fifth round. I just think uh, it's going to be a competition between him and Folk. Yep. And uh, in terms of Belichick and probably seeing that, he as he, he probably doesn't care about your outside life. He doesn't care about what goes on outside of Gillette Stadium. I mean, I'm certain, certain degree, he doesn't want people, you know, murdering other people and whatever. <laughs> but, you know, I think that as long as you can show somewhat maturity, so I'm sure that Belichick has seen this guy, especially when you talk. So I feel like as long as this guy doesn't talk about the three percenters, he's like, I don't give a shit about what your beliefs are. Don't care where you come from. As long as, hey, when it comes to media time, you're not talking about that. You're not screwing yourself over um, and things are, are, you know, things are getting found out. Um, then he doesn't care. So as long as you can come here and kick for us, shut your mouth, do your job, that's all I want because you guess what? You help my legacy out and you help us win another Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, I want to put, put these four guys together. Um, and kind of wrap this up because we are running on crazy time right now. But it's been – I like that you guys are really uh, putting your effort into talk about all these players and your insights, three different people here. We got four players that got drafted. They went with a couple uh, linemen. You got Michael Olwenyu, Onwenyu, Onwenyu. Am I saying that right? Michael Onwenyu. Um uh, Michigan interior offensive lineman, massive, powerful blocker that dominates in condensed spaces. You go with the next one that is uh, Justin Heron out of Wake Forest, captain over there, uh, center. So, you know, you get your center, maybe possible replacement for David Andrews down the line. I know David Andrews just – it's funny because David Andrews, I was talking about Caesar Wes probably going after him, get a high pick. Then all of a sudden, right before the draft started, David Andrews like, I'm coming back. So you have at least David Andrews coming back uh, for the Patriots. Then you end up going and getting Cash Mula. Like, I got to say Cash Mula. I like the name. Cash Mula, Cash Money, <laughs> Cash Allen Mulali. Uh, you know, a little, little flying Hawaiian on your team like that. Uh, and then lastly, I couldn't even find a highlight for this guy, Dustin Woodward. 
Wood Woodard, sorry, Dustin Woodard. Couldn't find him. Memphis, out of Memphis. Um, I just got a, a video of him flipping tires. So <laughs> it says he's a under herald and underappreciated player on the Memphis roster. He's a leader of the offensive line after moving to center in 2019, um, and has been a key to the offensive success for the Tigers. Uh, so guys, those four picks right there. Anything that you see out of those four? Anything you want to talk about? Go right ahead, Jay. Uh, so the only one who really uh, sticks out to me is Cash. Uh, I see him being uh, a possible uh, gunner for the uh, special teams. Uh, he's very, very fast for his size. Uh, he's only uh, a little bit smaller than than Devlin, uh, but th- I think he runs like a four, five, seven or something like that. So it just seems like a, a perfect guy for special teams. Uh, as far as like the offensive guy, the offensive uh, line guys. I'm not going to pretend that I know anything about sixth and seventh round draft picks who are guards and centers. That's just, I'm not giving any insight whatsoever to those guys. Okay. All right. Um, I, I want to speak more to um, Awenu. Um, the fact he's from Michigan. I mean, it seems like this common theme of you're either from an elite program that Belichick trusts fullheartedly, or you're coming from high recommendation of someone that's local or someone whom Belichick has worked very closely with in the past. Um, the whole idea, very similar to, um, um, you know, our other draft pick from Michigan, <clears throat> you know, the fact that there's that chemistry already built up with Chase Winovich um, and, and Uche. Uh, and so just really kind of playing on that to uh, build that team chemistry moving forward. And even if it doesn't work out, there's still going to be a positive, you know, influence in the locker room. Um, and then just, I mean, the other three, again, I'm with you, Jay. You know, I wasn't too as familiar you know, these are guys that obviously they're they're late round draft picks. They've obviously proven themselves in their respective league. They're hard workers, and you know it's a crapshoot. If they work out, they work out. If they don't, they don't. But um, clearly, they have some value um, that, that the coaches see that we may not see. That's yeah, the, the number one thing across the board for these late round guys—they're all high character kit guys. They're good kids. They stay out of trouble, and and they're dedicated to this game of football. It's like you said, it's a crapshoot. It's all just basically taking a flyer on these guys in later rounds. Do I think any of them make the roster? Probably very unlikely. I wouldn't say it's very likely that that really any of them make the final roster. But it's good to just have these bodies in camp from respective programs and and from programs that Belichick trusts because you know what you're getting uh, when your friend recommends them to none other than Bill Belichick. So I really do think that in certain cases, it could work out for a couple of these guys, but looking at the what I wrote down for some of these guys, I really don't think they make the final roster. Okay. So, so Nick Casario comes out after day two and says, we're going to get a QB on the roster. We'll get a third QB. So you're like, okay, let's see what happens in round four, five, six, seven. Well, guess what? No quarterback was drafted for the New England Pages. Drafted, by the way. Drafted. No quarterback was drafted by the New England Pages. Yes, they end up picking up two quarterbacks in the undrafted uh, free agent signing, um, which we'll get to in a second. But that just showed you they're all in on stage. Download the DraftKings app and try it free today using promo code NBCSB. What, is, what are we listening to right in the background? Uh-huh. <laughs> <Another> <laughs> little little shout-out right there, NBC. So the so, – the Patriots do not go quarterback. And, uh, you know, it went to they should bring somebody in to compete with Stidham to have somebody there to keep him on his toes. And then all of a sudden, again, Belichick, like, you know what? We're going with Stidham. We're rolling with him. We know we know he's the guy. Um, I thought it was very interesting. 
afterwards, too, to see that a lot of quarterbacks were falling, were dropping, and yet that out of all the quarterbacks that were taken, mostly all teams, 31 teams, have their quarterback set in stone going into the 2020 season. Cam Newton and Jameis Winston were still out there as free agents. Jameis Winston has just signed with the Saints, which I know Joe Stafford wants to talk about in a second. And I posted last night saying, you never know that these guys are still out there and maybe something's going to happen and bring one of those in there. But it looks like Belichick is certainly uh, going with Jared Stidham. Guys, again, we'll go around the table here. Free agent signings, undrafted guys. Is there anything that stuck out? I know a couple guys probably have stuck out in your mind. Uh, Go right ahead and talk about it. Jay, you're up. Uh, so the only guy that really sticks out as far as the uh, undrafted free agents is uh, Will Hastings. That's Stidham's guy, slot receiver. I mean, it seems like it seems like a plug and play, but I don't know a lot about the guy. But uh, I, I feel like he's the type of guy that would succeed in our system. And if nothing else, a practice squad guy uh, that can help out Stidham. And uh, but yeah, I don't I don't know nothing about these guys. But what do we got? One, two, three, like. Nine or ten guys that we uh, we it's signed. Like Fifteen. I, I, Fif- I think, oh, is it that many? I I because I was looking. Pat's perfect in some of these okay. fan accounts. They they kept like this is number five, number yeah. six, number thirty. I started num- I started up to number thirteen, and I did see somewhere that the Patriots officially have ninety two guys on the roster. You had to get the ninety man. You fill that out. So they obviously have some bodies for training camp and seeing like who's going to compete, and then when they start doing the cut down. It's just it's just good to know that it's just it's a weird space where you know. That of these, whatever you said, 15 guys, like two or three of them, they're going to be all right. And we know nothing about them. It's just how it works. It's just they're going to come in. They're going to be like, huh, like, who the fuck was that guy? But here he is like seven years later. He's still freaking Patriot. Uh, my guy that I'm going to take is Jeff Thomas on the University of Miami wide receiver. Um, this guy's a world of talent. Um, clearly put up numbers there. Kind of a uh, big personality. Um, the only problem and kind of black mark against him is that he couldn't stay out of trouble. Um, off the field and going off kind of questionable characters and decision-making and such. Um, but he comes highly regarded. And at this point in the draft, well, it wasn't even in the draft. Um, you kind of just have to make a, uh, a kind of a chance decision in terms of what can he bring to the program, especially from our program that really turns guys like Randy Moss, Corey Dillon, you know, I mean, there's several examples that um, we've kind of pulled in the reins and, and really kind of um, put their um, effort in and focus into the game on the field. Yeah, my one guy that I wanted to highlight here was actually a quarterback, Michigan State quarterback Brian Lewerke, I believe his name is. Uh, didn't watch a ton of film on him. I saw just a couple of highlights and stuff, kind of just dove in a little bit to the shallow end. My buddy actually goes to Michigan State. He saw this guy play every single uh, week, and he said that he comes highly regarded. Uh, he's a team leader. Uh, he's a ca- I'm pretty sure he was a captain on this team as well. Um, leadership qualities are there. Arm isn't anything spectacular, but he's accurate. It kind of fits the mold of the typical uh, Patriot quarterback. But hopping back on before we stop here uh, on the draft, I think there's a reason, a very clear reason why the Patriots didn't draft a quarterback during the draft because their guy was already gone. I would tend to believe that guy's either James Morgan from FIU or Mm -hmm. Jalen Hurts. Um, Just based on the fact if From was their guy, they would have taken him. He was there up to grabs just the entire draft, essentially, and they didn't want him. So obviously they didn't believe in him enough to to warrant a draft pick. I say James Morgan. There was a lot of interest pre-draft about a month ago, and I tend to believe those rumors most because as soon as you get it within the first month of the draft, within that 30-day period, that's when all the smoke starts to come out, all the nonsense, all the non-believer stuff, all the stuff that you don't want to hear around your team because it's all false. 
because every team is trying to throw every other team off their uh, their their tracks there. Um, I believe Morgan's a solid quarterback. I don't think they would have warranted the draft pick in the fourth round where he actually went, uh, if, I, if I'm correct on that. Um, but that obviously was their guy. Hurts wasn't going to fall down to them in the third round. Uh, evidently, he was taken in the second round, which was I think was a little bit high, and I already ranted about that, how that was stupid for the Eagles. But um, I think Morgan was their guy, and I do think they were kind of pissed off by that he wasn't there uh, for that, that fifth-round selection, so they kind of just let it go. Um, when you sign two undrafted free agents that are quarterbacks uh, that are really are not that noteworthy, uh, to be frank with you, I mean, they were nothing special in the field. It's the reason why they went undrafted in the first place. But you have a guy like Cam Newton who's still sitting in free agency who you know is light years ahead of Brian Hoyer in terms of on-the-field product. Um, and layers have anyone's going to pressure Stidham. I don't think anyone in the NFL community, I don't think anyone in the fan base community thinks that Brian Hoyer is going to push Jared Stidham. I really don't think anybody believes that. That's he's just going to mentor our mind. Exactly. <laughs> he's going to be in a mentor role. And I just think you need to bring in another quarterback to at least push him on the field-wise and have at least a solid backup. Because if you have Brian Hoyer come in, say we have a Tom Brady 2008 scenario where Stidham tears his ACL week one, you're going to go like... <laughs> two and fourteen, like that's like and I just Trevor don't, Lawrence. Hoyer doesn't have the ability to play on the field anymore. I really, I think he lost about three years ago. There's a reason that Sidham beat him out as a raw product from Auburn last year. It's because Hoyer isn't good at football anymore. He should be a maybe. Player. It's because Sidham is really good. So that's that what I'm gonna be go. It too. That could be it too. But I, my thoughts from Sidham last preseason: great talent, but raw. He wasn't ready to play, and that's the reason why we kept him around to develop him for the next year. But Hoyer is not suit, well suited to be a backup. We need to bring in someone else to push Stidham. I think that guy should have been Cam Newton. Do you think? I'm trying now. I'm trying to go 20 years ago. It was Bledsoe's team. It was good. They signed him 10 years. You, it was. Do you think that Belichick back then knew he was going to get the player that Tom Brady was? Did you did you think that he knew that in the back of his mind, or he was just lucky I, that? I don't think don't he knew that. I think he saw something there because there's a reason why we carried four quarterbacks in 2000. No yeah. team in the right mind carries four quarterbacks in any season. No matter what the player they have, they just put them on the practice squad. If it gets picked up, it gets picked up. But Belichick saw something in Brady. He didn't understand the full scale of it. Obviously, nobody thought that he was going to be the greatest player of all time. Nobody could have thought that. But he saw something. He trusted his quarterback coach at the time, and he thought, God, I got to keep this guy around. I can't let him slip away. So you go 13, 14 years later, and he gets Jimmy Garoppolo, second-round draft pick. He knew he saw something out of him and said, that's a guy that's going to push Tom Brady towards it. And he did. He pushed Tom Brady to keep him playing at a high level. So it makes me interested that the fact is, does Belichick is Belichick getting a little cute right now and being like, you know what, I'm ble- I'm riding with Stidham and we're gonna make that, or do you think that uh, there's a lot of pressure here because if Stidham does not pan out, that's that's tough look for Belichick because it's like, hey, you could have drafted somebody, you had the entire 2020 draft to, to get somebody, to get somebody to compete with that in case Stidham doesn't work out. So you think Belichick's kind of getting cute and saying, yo, this guy is the real deal and we're gonna win. Um, what do you think? Uh, just personally for this, I just think he's banking on Stidham either being really, really good or really, really bad. I don't think he's planning for <laughs> anywhere in the in-between. Really, really serviceable. The fact is, their defense is still good. They still have weapons around Stidham. 
It's about it's about a system, the system quarterback. Every team has a system. The Patriots system could work just like it worked for Matt Castle in 2008. It worked. That system was well, like Randy Moss and Welker. Okay, so I know that a lot of people will come out and say, well, they went undefeated the year before, Babs. It's like, well, the system, it still worked for him. I mean, this team... This team could have went undefeated last year if they kept Antonio Brown and they kept Josh Gordon and all that things worked out together. I mean, they had the defense to do it. Real quick off the top of your guys' heads, name some Patriots, undrafted Patriots in the last 20 years that did something. And just off the top of my head, J.C. Jackson, undrafted. And that guy is somebody. I, I think he is a somebody. These, these players that you said we don't really know about them, two or three of them will become something. Uh, is there anybody on the top of your head that went undrafted by the New England Patriots that was a somebody in some sort of capacity? Malcolm Butler. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Malcolm Butler definitely comes to mind. Um, but on top of my head, nobody really. But I'm sure I'm missing a ton of people, a slew of people. But I was prepared for this question. I'm not yeah. gonna lie, Babs. No, I just want to put you on the spot. I put myself on the spot, and I just said – I just blurred out Malcolm Butler Here's too the thing, with J.C. Though, Jackson. The, the fact that we can't other than Butler – immediately think of somebody speaks volumes to the the hope that we should put into these undrafted guys i mean in the history oh, I, of hey, the, I, actually you know what you know what i i looked up a list here let's go through this list <laughs> real right, quick. Go, go ahead thank you all right here we go i'm just go with the notable guys uh first off the list ironically is brian hoyer 2009 <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's kind of funny uh <laughs> no but that's still a, that's still a great value undrafted he was a good backup for a long time i uh, got like kyle love 2010 i think he was serviceable during that 2011 championship run so that's also a good pick our long snapper for a long time danny aiken i mean he still provides you value on special teams uh brandon bolden how about brandon bolden a long time Hey, yeah. great special teamer, great Patriot all around. I mean, he gave you a lot of value uh, for the past, what, eight years? Um, 2013, Josh Klein, okay. Kembrell Tompkins, really good in his time in a Patriots uniform. Got a pretty uh, important catch against the Saints. Oh, very important catch. <laughs> Malcolm Butler the following year, like Bab Never just heard said. Of him. David Andrews, 2015. I mean, he there you got, go. One of the yeah, best David centers Andrews. I mean, in the Patriots' relatively short history, NFL standards. David Andrews is one of the best centers we've ever had on in this franchise, if yeah. not the, one of the best. And, and, and even before that, Brian Stork, like, I think he was like a six-round pick. So, like, yeah. he wasn't something you got someone later. That's the same year, Justin Coleman. I mean, we like, these are all great value guys that you should have, that should have been drafted. Jonathan Jones. I can't believe he went undrafted. That's unbelievable to me. Uh, Adam Butler, 2017. I mean, like, Jacob Hollis, we even got trade value for for Seattle. And like you said earlier, J.C. Jackson as well. So, I mean, there definitely is value to be had in these with these undrafted guys. It's just not very common to have the amount of success we've no, had. No, but, but there's a little trend right there towards the end. It seems like in the last five to six years, they, they've been picking up at least one player that's somewhat made an impact on the team that could – take that undrafted value, uh, undrafted, and become value for, like, a, a pick or, so, or something like that. Right. Two things, just moving on real quick. Thaddeus Moss going undrafted, wow. Like, I, I just, I know, so I posted about it and said, oh, maybe he'd be day two, and then someone said I'm on crack because he's a six-round draft pick. <laughs> and uh, the Thaddeus Moss thing, Stafford, in my mind, is we went to the Combine and Thaddeus Moss was kind of held in regard because of his father, Randy Moss. He's coming off a championship season, national champion at LSU. Um, and then he had an issue with his foot. And I'm wondering if that foot issue ended up becoming way bigger than what it was. And it, what do you think about Thaddeus Moss? Like not, And you end up going to the Redskins, but what do you think about that? 
I think it's atrocious he wasn't drafted. I think that's a very disrespectful move by really anyone in the NFL community. Not just because of his father's name. I've said that a lot. Like people should have dra- they should have drafted him just because he's Randy Moss's son. No, this guy's good at football. Plain and simple. Like he was a very effective weapon for LSU down the stretch. Had a great playoff run with one of Joe Burrow's seven touchdown passes against Oklahoma. Um, but no, he shows great athletic ability. He's not a great blocker, but a lot of tight ends just aren't good blockers. He's a great weapon to have uh, for really any NFL team. I think he's a automatic number two tight end on most guys' rosters in the NFL. I was just shocked. I was utterly shocked. Any thoughts for you two guys over there? Just yeah. there, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of indifferent to it. You know, I, I wish that we could have obviously drafted him simply because we love Randy Moss and keep him around the facilities as much as we can. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad he found a home. I, I think that the new offense that that they have down there in um, in Washington, um, you know, I hope they use him. I hope you know. For me, the whole Thaddeus Moss thing went out the window when Brady left. It's just not cool anymore. So, <laughs> I mean, Stidham to Moss doesn't have the. Uh, the same ring to it as Brady DeMoss, so. Well, Riverboat Ron had Greg Olson. He knows how to use a tight end properly, yeah. so he's going to get Thaddeus Moss. We'll see what happens. Speaking of Riverboat Ron, his former T Carolina Panthers, Cam Newton, cut. Jameis Winston been signed somewhere. He's he's the he should be the hottest quarterback free agent right now. And then incarcerated Bob today went out there who – you see him on Twitter. He'll he'll post things. I have no idea who the hell he is, but he's gotten some things right in the past. He's gotten a lot of things wrong in the past. Said AFC East. He he tweeted that out. Cam. T- he said AFC East, and they said hashtag Cam. It sounds like he's insinuating that Cam Newton's going to land in the AFC East. So that gets the past nation riled up. Maybe Cam Newton. We'll all be doing this. We're gonna be dabbing on it. We're gonna be dabbing. If 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 he signs, the second he signs the New England Patriots, I will have my phone out. I have my Stidham stiffy, but I also be dabbing. I'll be dabbing back. And let's forth. let's be honest. If if Cam Newton signs with the Patriots, you're gonna be asleep. Uh, <laughs> but, hey, I'm gonna start calling you the mattress king because you're always. <laughs> but listen to this. The last two times with Brady, I was I fell asleep ten minutes before the Brady news came out, and then the Gronkowski. I let everyone else talk first because they all come to the Spike King. What the hell is this guy going to have to say about it? So, you know, sometimes an instant reaction isn't what you need. You get the reaction after. Okay, no, but what, before, we, before we move on here, I have one question for all of you, including you, Babs. We're talking about this back of quarterback scenario. We're talking about these undrafted guys, and I brought up Cam Newton already. People have been saying he's going to cost a lot of money. No, he's not. There's a reason why he's unsigned right now. He's not going to come in $15 million suddenly out of nowhere. Yeah, I agree. Camp opens. Um, so say in this scenario, he costs you anywhere between like 6 million around, say, say around 6 million, right? One year contract. If you're Bill Belichick, or even if you're just yourself, you're in charge of the New England Patriots. Do you take that, that shot with Cam Newton for the one year deal? If you don't believe in Stidham, like, and you want that well, one year, if you that do Stidham, believe in Stidham just to push him and just to be a great high quality backup. And he's still keeping Hoyer on that as that third quarter. I think the ego will really, really be positive for the, for the, for the franchise, him as a backup. Yeah, I don't think that works. He wants to be a starter. There's no way if Cam Newton comes, he's a backup. Yeah. Yeah. The guy's a former MVP. It hasn't been that long. Uh, look, here's the thing. If Cam Newton were to come to the Patriots, uh, I don't know if he wears number one. I think we kind of, like, delegate number one to, like, Pat Patriot and to, like, all the fans <laughs> and, like, you know, like, dignitaries that come, you know, to the Patriots. Yeah. but. I mean- Maybe I'm uh, wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but there's a reason why Vegas dropped the odds to sign with New England for Cam Newton from plus 400 to plus 170 today. 
There's well, no Vegas is Vegas that. is going to do whatever the people are going to bet on. They're just trying to make. But money. Vegas is never wrong. So why would they increase the chances of him going here? You know what I mean? There's, there's at least something there that people aren't. There, there's something there, and and honestly, I, if it happened, like fucking roll with it. Let's go. Uh, the one thing I will say: if the ball's <laughs> on the ground, if the, yeah, if the ball's on the ground, Cam, get your fucking ass on the ground. I don't care if it's the Super Bowl or the preseason. Uh, I don't want to see none of that. Yeah, I don't want to see none of that shit up here in New England. But I mean, the guy's a talented quarterback. He's a personality. And look, I mean, we have to face facts. Tom Brady's gone, and we're not going to be in the Super Bowl every other year. We're not going to be in the AFC Championship every year. Like that part is done and in the past. And what we have to do is we have to make Sundays fun. And Cam Newton makes Sundays fun. I just drink a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just want to get drunk. I just want to get drunk and see what the fuck Cam Newton's going to do. That would be a fun Sunday. And uh, make football fun again. Fuck it. Cheers. I, I love, I would love just, you know, watching football Sundays. Cam Newton scores a touchdown and then Patriots fans are just, dab, like dab. <laughs> well, listen, well, listen, what are the odds for the Miami Dolphins? I talked myself into it. I think Cam Newton down to Miami makes a lot of sense. Now, Stafford, I, in our little chat on Ride of the Wave, you're like, well, Fitzpatrick's still in their contract. Then I looked up his contract prior to you even saying that. And Fitzpatrick, dead cap, is, is $4 million. So if they cut ties with him, that's what you got to pay him on an $11 million contract. Well, guess what? You could keep that $11 million contract as a – you at least have a backup in case Cam Newton still doesn't have it. Like, Because Cam Newton did lose no. his job. That's a fair so, point. That's a fair point. I like I I like Cam Newton in Miami for a lot of reasons. I think it fits the scheme there. They just traded for Matt Breida from San Francisco. I mean, it fits the speed type of offense they want to start to implant as they move forward in the next generation, even with Tua. And I think Cam and Tua are similar enough to where even if Cam isn't good and Tua is healthy enough to play to supplant him, it would be a seamless transition. But imagine that that Tua is not playing in 2020. And you got to sit him. You, he's your franchise quarterback. You, Miami has some. I like Brian. I think Brian Flores might be one of the most successful coaches under the Belichick tree. And I'm going to say that right now. I, I think that because of what he did in Miami, he gutted everything out. You stocked up on picks. You stocked up on money. And you're going to start building a winning culture. What did I say in our chat earlier today? Miami is a destination you want to play in. It's just they don't have a winning culture there. And nothing wants to say, like, I don't want to go to Miami. I don't want to be for a losing team. Flores has the opportunity now to build that winning culture. And Tua, imagine this. You hit, you are third string, but you get to learn from Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's a journeyman in the NFL, who kills it every September. But also, you get to then... Fitzpatrick does his one year. See you later. Now you're the official backup to Cam Newton. And now you can see from a guy who was the former NFL MVP who played in a Super Bowl. And you start learning from that. They would be set in two years, in 2022, to let Tua then eventually become the starter. And you give him two years to learn the system of the NFL, to heal up his hip, to get ready for that. That would be success. And guess what? The Miami Dolphins have $20 million in their cap space still. They can afford Cam Newton. They don't have to pay him tons of money, but they could afford him. They could pay him. So I think that's actually a perfect fit. And I just like this overall because look at this. You have Sam Darnold. You have who, – who, who did the Jets get for the backup quarterback? They got uh, – who did they get? J, did they get James Morgan? They got somebody. They got somebody as their backup over there. Why am I putting you guys on the spot and you guys don't know who that's the some Joe Stafford questions right yeah, there? Yeah, Babs, I'm who did they for you. get? Babs, who did they get? I don't know. I, I just they I know they got a quarterback. Other Dude, than I Sam Darnold, I want to find the Jets draft in the okay, but you should, you should because the Patriots were look look it up now. I, it's despicable. Morgan. Morgan. Okay. Morgan. So I was, 
Okay. The Bills end up getting who? Jake Fromm. The Miami Dolphins got Tua. They also could get Cam Newton, and then you're the lonely Patriots rolling with Stidham. The AFC East quarterback situation is going to be very interesting over the next four, three to four years. I, I just yeah, look I at can't all. Wait to see Josh Allen overthrow Stephon Diggs again. That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, but it's still it's still interesting that they're still looking at these quarterbacks that looked like a deep class, and they end up getting them. Those are the guys that could have been on the Patriots, and it's, it's just interesting. All right, we got to wrap this up. Final thoughts. Go around the table. Jay, any final thoughts? All right, so final thoughts on the draft for me is simple. You know, you when the draft is over, you want to be excited about the next season. Uh, I'm not really feeling that with, with the squad, but I do, like I said earlier, I do have uh, some cautious optimism. I think we got a lot of uh, pieces uh, or holes that have been plugged, but none that have really got me excited that, oh, I can't wait to see this guy play on Sunday. Uh, but with that being said, that's how I feel. About 90% of our drafts, and it's been working out. So what the fuck do I know? Uh, I trust in Bill, and uh, I think we're going to be all right. I think we're going to be all right. Yes, yeah, I agree with you, Jay. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, hey, what, it is what it is. You know, nothing yeah. really stands out. The, the, Uche tra- the Uche pick was my favorite one. Um, yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, I think that just his versatility will certainly, um, you know, play itself out more quickly relative to the other picks. Um, but, yeah, let's just get football going. Hopefully we're playing. Yeah, seriously. Uh, overall, draft, uh, from an excitement standpoint, underwhelming. I don't really think we got a lot of headline guys, like guys like Jay said, you want to see on Sundays. But these are impact guys that are to be in the locker room, be a benefit uh, beneficial to the locker room culture. I think they start setting that foundation for the next era of New England Patriots football. Um certain guys like Uche, I think are going to be like maybe star players, uh, maybe even guy like Dalton Keene too, where I can see him in certain roles being very impactful on Sundays. Uh, cautionly optimistic. I think it's been the kind of the whole aura we've had going on this draft. I had to agree with it. I mean, I, that's the only way you can really put it. I'm hopeful for the future, but right now I'm just going to stay with the caution play. Well, a little bit of caution playing field right now. And, and, and let me just say before, before we go, this is how I want to feel about every draft. Because this means that we're picking at the end of the rounds. I never want to get that, you know, uh, Burrow pick where I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, we got the number one guy. That sucks. That means you went 2-14 and 14 the year prior. The longer we can go, oh, I'm cautiously optimistic, I hope these guys works out, that means we're making deep playoff runs, and I'll ride with drafts like this, you know, till the day I die. And, and well, we could have got Patrick Queen, but... <laughs> yeah, very true, very true. And, and that's what kind of I'm wrapping up on is that this team isn't just rolling over. This team is still getting a bunch of guys. And yes, some of these guys are not going to pan out, but Belichick is still exploring all options. Belichick is still building his legacy. This team, the New England Patriots, are still fighting for playoff spots. Yes, they are not Super Bowl contenders every single year anymore. They are not. I mean... They're still playoff contenders. They're still going to be there, and they're still fighting for AFC East championships. But this is a team that hasn't done a – you want to talk about a rebuild? Imagine being a rebuild team, but you're also still competitive for the playoffs at the same time because you know in about one the year – Boston Celtics. Celtics, yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah, because in one, in one to two years, you're still going to rebuild some of these guys and get ready for the future to make your next push for another Super Bowl championship. And you got to know that Belichick – wants that seventh ring 
for the New England Patriots as a head coach. He wants that, and he's going to get that at some point, whether it takes one year or it takes five years. When he came in and he first came into Robert Kraft and, and when he took over in 2000, he laid it out there and said, my plan in the next five years or the next four years, we'll win one ring. Well, he ended up winning three out of in, in five years that he ended up being the head coach there. So I know that if he's laying it down again, coming in here, looking at the team, I will win one ring in the next five years. And that will happen. The Patriots will win a Super Bowl in the next five years. Guarantee that you come back on this in five years from now and say, Babs called it. I mean, you look at the team and the roster building, the culture they still have there. It's going to happen. It is 100% going to happen. Babs, give uh, me a tattoo or what? Yeah, I was going to say. You tattoo I, that I will you? have the tattoo ready to go. I just won't have the year. Like I'll just wait for it. I just, <laughs> All right. What all about right. my initials? Don't you owe me a, some initials? Yeah. What did you end up? Twenty-one just, out of thirty-two is a position red. I don't care about positions, dude. I want you to should, because that's the whole point of a mock no, draft is no, to guess no. what team the team is going. Oh my god! It's names. It's names. How would you end up hitting on twelve names though, right? I hit on nine names. Nine. Oh, you didn't get double digits. You didn't hey, get twenty-one out of thirty-two teams. <laughs> I knew what position they were going to draft. I mean, dude, like. It's, it's it is what it is. I'm okay. not gonna get it. I beat every single CBS sports analyst. Every single mock that they put out, I beat. Every single analyst they put out. But you didn't get the names right. Oh my god. <laughs> I did no, I got more names right than they Semantics. Did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> This has been Boston's Big Three Podcast, presented by Ride the Wave Media today, sponsored by Bench Clearers right here at Boston Bruins. You get your tank top there. We appreciate that. Jay the Pats fan, you follow him at Jay the Pats fan. We have at Justin underscore Zolat22, Nash Pats fan club coming on here, all dressed up nice in his little Patriots suit and bow tie and that. And, of course, Joe Stafford. Joe Stafford, you follow him, ridethewavemedia.com for his analytics, his breakdown. I'm waiting. Do you have a breakdown coming soon for all the draft yeah, picks? Do. There you go. There you go. So you read that. We appreciate that. That's been episode 52, Boston Big Three, Ride the Wave Media.